Good morning, everybody. Glad to be here. Uh, as, I, as he said, I'm Lucas Shell, I pastor in Effingham, Illinois, uh, over there where uh, heaven's light shines down uh, in Illinois there, but, uh, um, but the big white cross is where we're at. And I'm thankful to be here today. I appreciate you coming out to church. I'm glad to be in church this morning. Uh, we usually don't stay uh, when we camp. We usually don't stay over Saturday night. And uh, I noticed this morning as I was preparing lots of folks pulling out with their campers and things. And I thought, you know what, I'm glad to be going to church this morning. So we're glad to be here. Uh, we usually go on a trip every year with my wife's family. Uh, we do like a camping trip, and we changed it up this year. We came to Missouri. We usually go to Indiana, and normally we go home on Saturday because uh, we go to just go to church on Sunday. Um, but I told her, I said, you know what? Let's go to Missouri this year. We'll just stay over Saturday night. Uh, we'll go to Brother Smith's. We'll come home Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and so that was our plan. I'd let your preacher know that we we're going to be here Wednesday night and Sunday morning. Um, and then a few months ago, I actually lost my job, and so I've been uh, without a job over the summer. And so I said, let's stay Sunday night as well, um, and we'll go to church Sunday night also. And so everything just worked out, and Brother Smith texted me a few days ago and said, hey, brother, and he let us know about him and his wife, and uh, we were wanting to get together. And he said, I don't know if we're going to be able to get together or not. Um, but I said, that's fine. I hate to hear that. Are you still going to have church? And he said, yeah, we're planning on it. I normally would never offer, but I just simply said, brother, if you need me, I'm available. Uh, I'll be ready to preach. And long story short, here we are. So uh, I'm thankful to be here. I've uh, been at my church for five years. Actually, five years today is our anniversary there. Uh, my church asked me, pastor, what would you like for your anniversary? I said, how about a Sunday off? Amen. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. It didn't really go down that way. But uh, we planned this trip months ago, and I didn't even know that today would be my anniversary, but it is. So Glad to be here. I'm thankful for my wife and family. They're here. Uh, my wife and I will be married 16 years next week. And uh, a couple, three years ago at our church, we found ourselves without a piano player. And we had been married, you know, 12, 13 years up at that time. And she had never played. Uh, but she had learned when she was a, a kid. And she said, well, I guess I'll start playing the piano again. And so she started playing. And she's our piano player now. So I'm thankful for her. She doesn't think she's very good. But... I think she's the greatest piano player in the world, amen? Uh, not just because she's my wife, but because I'm a pastor and I need a piano player, amen? So uh, I'm thankful for her, um, but uh, uh, again, thankful for this opportunity. I love your preacher. Got to know him over the last couple of years, and uh, thankful for the opportunity. I appreciate him and his stand, and um, been getting to know him over the last couple of years. I got to spend a week with him last summer on a, a Baptist history men's tour, uh, rode with, rode next to him on the bus. Uh, got to enjoy that very much. Hopefully, he didn't come back complaining about a uh, guy that sat by him on the week, bus all week wouldn't leave him alone. Uh, but if he did, that was me that he was referring to. So let's turn to First Corinthians today, Amen. First Corinthians chapter number ten. Tonight we're going to be back. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. Hopefully, you can come back tonight. Uh, be in your spots once again. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read verses 6 through 6, uh, 13. And uh, again, I'm very honored to be here, very thankful. Uh, I do uh, always respect another man's pulpit, and I will today. Uh, I will respect God and His Word. But if, you're with, uh, if you could turn with me today, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 6. I always ask our folks to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to stand today... Please do if you can't, that is totally fine. But follow with me in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 6. The Bible says, Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall." 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Our Father, we thank you again for this day, and Lord, I am thankful to be in church. I'm thankful to be in a good church. Lord, I'm thankful to be able to stand in this pulpit today and preach your word, and so I do appreciate my good friend, Pastor Smith, allowing me the opportunity. Lord, I pray for him and his wife today as they're recovering. I thank you, Lord, that they're doing better. But, Father, we pray that you continue to bless and to help and to heal. And, Father, for his family as well as they are taking precautions, Lord, I pray for their protection. Lord, for the other uh, couple names that were mentioned also, Lord, in the church, I pray that you would help them and strengthen them, Father. We pray today that you'd be with the preaching of your word, Lord, I confess that I'm just a nobody. Father, I am aware that there's nothing that I personally can do or say here today that will make a difference or be a help to anyone. And so, Father, I ask that you fill me with your spirit, that you'd just come. Lord, that you'd have me to say what you'd want me to say. And, Lord, that I would not say anything that you would not want me to say. So fill me, I pray, with your spirit. Give me the power, Lord, that I need from on high. And, Lord, help us all today to hear from your word. Would you fill this place with your power, with your presence? Lord, may your spirit have his will and his way in this place. We'll give you the glory. We thank you and we pray now all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now I want to preach today a message that I have titled, uh, Lessons Don't Have to Be Learned the Hard Way. Lessons Don't Have to Be Learned the Hard Way. We all understand when I say that's a hard lesson, or you might say we learned a lesson the hard way, we understand what that means. Sometimes in life, we have to learn things the hard way. And maybe that means we get hurt physically, or maybe that means something bad has to happen. But we learn a hard lesson. Uh, with our children, we try to, for the most part, keep them safe. We uh, raise them up and tell them, don't do this, don't do that because we don't want them to get hurt maybe or maybe it's something that they shouldn't do and we don't want them to go against God and his word or maybe we just don't want them to do something and learn a bad habit whatever the case might be but we try to uh, raise our children in such a way where they don't have to learn lessons the hard way we've been there we've learned it we know the consequences uh, and we try to raise them in such a way where they don't have to learn let me tell you about it let see it in my life I don't want you to have to go through the same thing we do that with our our children don't we or at least we should too often when it comes to sin we we learn the hard way and it doesn't have to be that way so I get it there might be things in our life where we look back maybe life experiences and we say I learned a hard I learned a lesson the hard way there and we might even be thankful for it because it it helped us to grow or it made us a better person uh, I'm not saying hard lessons are not good in some situations but when it comes to sin why do we have to learn things the hard way we don't have to and so that's what I want us to think about today that's what I want us to consider uh, we didn't read the first five verses of the chapter number 10 here but we see the story of Israel and it talks about how they, uh, uh, all our fathers, now he's talking there obviously uh, uh, about the nation of Israel. And he says they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. I believe that refers to the authority of Moses in their life. They were under his authority. It says, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I, what we see here in the beginning of the chapter is that uh, uh, Paul is talking about Israel and how all of them were under the cloud. All of them were under the sea. We know the cloud that led them by day, the sea that God parted, that they passed through. All of them had a man of God to lead them. All of them ate of the same spiritual meat and the same spiritual drink and all of them had the same spiritual rock that was Christ all of God's people had the same privileges didn't they and so we see that there but then we see in verse 5 
But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And so we see all of them had the same privileges and the same blessings as God's people, but not all of them obeyed. And with not all of them was God well pleased. And so some of them had to learn the lesson the hard way. Instead of just obeying God and doing what uh, uh, God wanted them to do and just trusting Him, they said, no, we want to figure it out for ourselves." And they learned the lesson the hard way and they didn't have to. And so they were overthrown in the wilderness. And where we pick up here in verse 6, Paul is writing to us after reminding us of Israel and their, uh, uh, all the, the, they had the same privileges and the same blessings and they were all God's people and, and they could have enjoyed uh, uh, their fellowship with God and all those things but they disobeyed and therefore they had to pay the consequences. And so we pick it up here in verse 6 and he's saying those things were our examples. Those are the things that we look at and look to so we don't have to do the same and suffer the same fate. And so we understand the reality of learning lessons the hard way. And that's what, we, that's what I want us to get out of our text today. And so number one today in our message, I want us to understand that all of our failures are a result of us giving in to our lusts. We see here in verse 6... Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And so we see this word here, lust. Now when we hear the word lust, let's just be honest, most of the time we think the word means that a man looks at a woman and he thinks things that he shouldn't think. And no doubt that's lust. He's lusting after her. Bible calls that adultery, by the way. Well, Jesus called that adultery, by the way. To look at a woman with lust, to think things about her that a man shouldn't think. But that is not just lust, okay? All desires are lust. A lust is simply a desire. Anything we desire in our heart, we lust after it. And the Bible says here that they lusted after evil things. They desired them. They wanted them. And what I want us to understand today before we finish is that before they ever did anything, their heart wanted it. Before they ever acted upon it, before they ever fulfilled it, before they ever did it and displeased God, it was a desire within their heart that could have been stopped right there. And so all of our failures, all of our sins, all of our disobedience is just simply us giving in to those desires of our heart that we should not give in to. And listen, I'll just start, I'll just say this. I understand desires. I, uh, I understand impure thoughts. I understand feelings that we shouldn't have. I find myself regularly saying to myself why in the world are you thinking this way you ever been there why in the do you ever ask yourself why am i thinking about that why am i why am i thinking like this you ever find yourself saying why do i feel this way i'll just be honest there's days where things are going good life's good the day's good everything's good and i'm like why why do i feel down why do I feel discouraged today? I have no, but I feel that way, okay? Uh, uh, do you ever find yourself asking yourself, why am I desiring this? Why am I wanting this? Because I shouldn't. And so I will just say, those desires and those thoughts and those feelings, because we live in a sinful flesh, <clears throat> and because we have a, a fallen body, those desires and thoughts and feelings, sadly are going to come natural to us. But they have to stop right there. They have to stop in the heart. They have to stop in the mind. We don't get to fulfill them. We don't get to carry them out just simply because, well, that's how I feel. I don't know how many people I have counseled as a pastor, and I can open the Word of God, and I can show them plainly 
This is what God's word says. And they'll say to me, but I don't feel that way. You know what? Your feelings don't matter. Well, that's just not how I think. Your, how you think doesn't matter if it disagrees, if it's contrary to the word of God. It is wrong thinking and it has to be changed. Your desires, yes, they might be there. Yes, they might come easy. But if they're contrary to God's word, you don't get to fulfill them. You don't get to pursue them. That's the way that it is supposed to be. And so we must understand that all desires are lusts. And all sin is essentially us just giving in to those things that we desire. Listen, folks, we cannot trust our hearts. We cannot. Jeremiah said they're deceitful and above all exceedingly wicked. I don't care what you feel. I don't care what you want. I don't care what you think. If it is contrary to God's word, you have to learn not to give in to it. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself like Israel. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself learning a hard lesson that you don't have to learn. And so, we do what we want, don't we? We are who we want to be, aren't we? And it's not by accident. Listen, I get it. When we get saved, we get saved as a sinner and we're still a sinner, right? And we, we get saved and it doesn't automatically happen that we become perfect and just like Christ. It doesn't work that way. I understand that. But listen, if we continue to be who we are, we're doing it because that's who we want to be. If, if, if we are saved and we know better, and we as uh, 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 people that are dwelt by the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God, and, and we can read it for ourselves and we can go to church and listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, and we know right from wrong, and yet we continue to be somebody that's contrary to Scripture, we are that person because we want to be. Because we refuse to put in the effort to change. If we continue to do things that are contrary to Scripture, we are doing them because we want to. It's not by accident. And I understand, I've had people say to me, well, I'm just a worrier. I get it, worry might come natural. You might be a worrier. But can I say to you today, you have to stop being a worrier. Well, I'm just an angry person. Well, I just have a short fuse. You might naturally just have a short fuse. But can I say this to you today? If that's you, you have to learn to stop being an angry person. We don't get to say, well, that's just who I am. Well, that's how I feel. Well, that's just how I think. We can say that and continue to be who we are and do what we do. But we're going to learn a lesson the hard way. And we're going to fail as Israel did. Because we're giving in to the lusts and the desires of our heart. Paul gives some examples here that we'll look at. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter number 32, verse number 1. And then we're going to go to Numbers chapter 25. But Exodus chapter 2, 31, verses 1 through 10. Uh, we'll just look at the examples that Paul gives. And uh, he doesn't give all the examples of Israel, obviously, but... He just gives a few for reference. But Exodus chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, 32, verse number 1. As Moses is up on the mountain um, and, and, and he is delaying or being delayed, the people get restless and the people get tired of waiting. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 32, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. All the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. 
And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed therein too and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. If you turn to the book of Numbers, chapter number 25. <clears throat> Numbers, chapter number 25, verse number 1. We see the next example uh, uh, there in 1 Corinthians 10. Numbers 25, verse number 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat. And bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman, in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were twenty, and 4,000. Turn back a few chapters to Numbers chapter 21, verse number 4. Numbers 21, verse number 4. <clears throat> now keep in mind, this was uh, uh, right after God had delivered His people. He had delivered up the Canaanites unto them and uh, gave them a great victory. Verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. One more instance. And then we'll be done. Numbers 14 verse number 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them, I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Skip to verse 35. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. 
And this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, uh, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him, by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. What we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 is that Israel gave in to their impure desires. Verse 7, we see the sin of idolatry. You know, a lot of times when we say the word sin, we think of something physical. And a lot of times sin is something physical, something that we do physically that others can see. But if you notice here, Paul gives numerous examples, doesn't he? He gives the example in verse 7 of idolatry. We saw the people fashioned a golden calf uh, uh, for themselves and they built an altar and they worshipped on the altar and sacrificed unto the golden calf. And how ridiculous is it that they said, this is what brought us out of the land of Egypt. What a foolish, foolish thing for them to say. But they made this calf and they worshipped it. And they committed the sin of idolatry. And we might say, well, I've never worshipped a golden calf or a stone or anything made out of wood. No, but I guarantee you, you've put something before God in your life. I guarantee you there is something in your life that you have put before God. Maybe something right now you have in your life that you are allowing to be placed before our holy God. That's idolatry. And that's something that not everybody can see. It's a hard issue that you have and only God knows. But something in your life is before God. Something in your life you are finding contentment in and satisfaction in other than God. That's idolatry. Verse number 8, we see the sin of fornication. We know what that is. The, the people uh, gave in to their lusts, to their desires, and they began to fornicate. They began to have physical relations, not only outside of marriage, but with people that God said that they should not have relations with. And so this was something physical that they did. They committed fornication. They fulfilled these sexual desires. And so this is a physical sin that we see here. Now verse number 9, we see another one. It says they, they tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. The word tempt here literally means to test. We're told not to tempt God. And so essentially what this means is uh, we're not to see what we can get away with. That's what we do sometimes in our life. We know something's wrong. We know we shouldn't be doing something or we know we shouldn't be thinking something or, or something along those lines. But we continue to do it just to see how far we can go. We continue to do it just to see what we can get away with. And you know what? That's tempting God. That's basically shaking our fists at God and telling God, just do something. Well, if we're not careful, He will. And I know we're not Israel. And I know He's not going to send fiery serpents. He could if He wanted to. But over in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that He will chastise us. And all we need to know is that he can and that he will. However he wants to do it, he can do it and he will. But we must be very careful not having such a self-righteous attitude that we just want to see what we can get away with. And verse number 10, we see that they murmured. This means they complained. I'm sure nobody in here has ever complained. I know I haven't for at least uh, a few minutes now. Amen. We pulled into a camping spot this week that was basically a mud hole. I thought, this is real nice. You can ask my wife. I was not in a very good mood. And then all week it's rained. And so our mud hole has filled with water. We had all our shoes outside of our camper on the concrete that we're supposed to have there that's supposed to be dry. It rained so hard a couple times that our, the water rose so high that our shoes were floating. Listen, I don't like to camp like that. And I will be honest... I complain when stuff like that happens. That's just my spirit, but it's something that I have to work on. But the people here, they murmured and they complained against God. They were not content that God had delivered them out of Egypt. 
They were not content that God was giving them manna and water so that they could survive. They were not content that they had a land flowing with milk and honey promised to them. You know, yeah, they was going to have to clear some weeds and dig some rocks out and chop some, or chop some trees down and pull the stumps out, uh, 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 so to speak. They was going to have to do a little work. But God said, all that you have to do, I'll do for you. But they weren't, well, wouldn't it be easier if we were just back in Egypt? What a bunch of unsatisfied, ungrateful, and unthankful people. You know what we find in Scripture? That we are to be a thankful people. And we're so spoiled in the United States of America that we can't even go camping without complaining. A little week away with my family, and first thing I do, I get there and my spirit's wrong. Why is my spirit wrong? Because I let it be. Because I, because I let it be. It's not the camper, campground's fault. It's not the camping spot's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's my fault. And so we see the people of God here, they murmured or they complained. They were not thankful for all that God had done. And so we see various things here, right? We see physical things that we can do. Uh, we see internal things that we can do that nobody else sees, but only God knows. And so I'm not saying that uh, uh, when I say sin or lust, I'm not just saying something physical that we do. I'm talking about those things, our deepest, darkest secrets that maybe no one knows but God. But they're on the inside of us and we cannot give in to them. So number one today, all our failures are a result <clears throat> of giving in to lust. Number two, we see that all our failures have been someone else's failures. If you notice again, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Look in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are, are come. And so... Our failures are a result of us giving in to our lusts, and we have to pay the consequences. We have to learn that lesson the hard way. But I want us to understand today that any failure that we might have is a failure that someone else has already committed. And so you know what? We've seen the consequences. You know, I don't understand Adam and Eve. When God said they were in a beautiful garden, I mean, it was perfection. And God said, you can have all of this and enjoy it, but the one tree right there, I don't believe it was a type of tree, like an apple tree, and there was apple trees all over the garden. No, I believe it was one tree. And he said, that tree right there, don't eat the fruit of it. If you do, you shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve had no idea what that meant. What did that mean? You shall surely die. They had lived in perfection. There was no sin. Nothing rotted. Nothing decayed. There was always fruit and plenty to eat they never hungered it was perfection but God said ye shall surely die you know what they did they learned the lesson the hard way they didn't understand that God was going to curse man and not just Adam but every man the curse that he put on Adam is the same curse that's on you men and the curse that he put on Eve wasn't just on Eve it's the same curse that he put on all of you ladies and the curse that he put on the ground in the garden of Eden is the same curse that's on the ground in Missouri and Illinois and all over the world. They didn't understand what God was saying when he said, Thou shalt surely die. And then they actually physically died. And so I'm not making excuses for them. I'm not saying, well, it, you know, well, it's understandable that they... No, it's not understandable because God said loud and plain and clear, don't eat of the fruit, and they did. But what I'm saying to you today is we don't have to wonder what the consequences of sin are. We have seen it in somebody's life. We don't have to be naive like Adam and Eve and say, well, I wonder what he meant by that. No, we know somebody that struggled with alcoholism and we've seen how it's ruined them. We've known somebody that's been a worrier and we have seen that they have no peace or joy in their life. We have seen people struggle with sin of all shapes, types, and sorts, on and on and on it goes. You understand what I'm saying? And we've seen the consequences. 
So why do we still learn lessons the hard way? We don't have to wonder what's going to happen if I do this. We've, we probably know somebody that's done it and we've seen what's happened. We don't have to struggle with, well, I wonder what might happen if I continue to think these thoughts. No, we've probably known somebody that has struggled with it and gave in and we've seen the consequences. All I'm saying to us today is all our failures or our potential failures have been someone else's failures. We don't have to wonder what might happen if we give in to those lusts or those desires. We don't have to wonder. And just like Israel, they were for our examples. These things happened for our examples. Now listen, I'm not saying, well, be thankful that someone else sinned and disobeyed God so you know. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is how many years are we removed from Christ and from God's word being completed? We've had many, many years. Lots of people have been born into history to give us examples. To, to, for us to look at and say, I don't want to do that. That's what we do in life, right? We see somebody do something, they break an arm, we say, I ain't doing that. I mean, that's what we do. We don't, you know, I, I know what's going to happen if I jump out in front of a bus that's going 60 miles an hour down the highway. I know what's going to happen, and I'm not going to do it. I like living. Amen. The Lord can take me when he's ready. I'm not going to willingly give up. But we do those things naturally. Okay? We want to protect ourselves. And so we say, well, I've, you know, he wrote as kids. Kids usually don't, they usually do learn the lessons the hard way. But, you know, well, he just rode his bike down that hill. He was going like 100 miles an hour. He broke his arm. He about died. I'm not going down there. Most time kids say, all right, my turn. Uh, but naturally, as humans, we try to physically protect ourselves because we know what could happen or might happen. We've seen it with our eyes. Why don't we do that when it comes to sin? Why is it that we, ha- we still do it, we still give in, and we learn the lesson the hard way as if we didn't already know? Why? Why? I don't understand. And I, I'm... I'm I'm preaching to myself here. Oh, well, you sound like you're perfect and you figured it all out. No, I have not. I'm still working on it. But all our failures have already been someone else's failures. And these here uh, with Israel are recorded in history so we can see what they did and we can see what the consequences were. Now, again, as I said, it's probably not going to be fiery serpents. You're probably not going to be strewn about all through the wilderness, left to die and to rot. But the Bible does say in Hebrews, God will chastise us. And he can and he will if we continue. Sin has consequences. And we can see those consequences in others. We do not. Listen, we ought to blindly trust God. And we ought to go through life by faith. Well, if God says it, that's the way it ought to be. But when it comes to sin... And sin's consequences. Aren't you thankful that we don't just have to go through life blindly trusting God. And saying well I'm just going to have to take God at his word that he knows what's best for me. No. We've seen countless people in our life commit the same things that we're struggling with. And we can look at them and we can say I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a warrior. There's no joy. There's no peace. It's like the life's been sucked right out of them. If they... If it's not one thing, it's another. I know people that if they find themselves with nothing to worry about, they get worried that they have nothing to worry about. That's just, and you know why they're that way? It's because they want to be. It's natural to them, and they want to be that way. Why? I don't understand it. People, I know people that worry about things before it ever happens. Well, I'm just worried that it hasn't happened yet, and it might not happen. But you're worried about it. And you have no joy and peace in your life because of something that might not happen. What in the world? But I know people. And we know people. And it's not just worry. It could be hundreds of things in our life. Contentment, satisfaction, anger, as I said earlier. Listen, listen, I I fully understand. Man, I, I get it. I've been there before. Gritting your teeth and shaking your fist. 
and you're, you're imagining in your mind what you're going to do to that person. I get it. I understand it. But you know what? That desire has to stop inside. You, you, you cannot, and I know most people don't want to punch people, you know. Uh, I know some of you do, though, just be honest. But a lot of times it's just, you know, someone's rude to us. I tell my people all the time, my wife knows, she tries to, you know, a lot of times when we're out in public, my wife holds me by the hand and leads me. Come on, honey, let's go over here, come on. Because she knows I have a hard time with rude people. And she knows if someone's rude to me, there's a good chance I'm going to be rude back because that's something that I struggle with. Well, they did it to me, I want to do it back to them. But you know what? That desire, it's, but here's the thing, it's always a desire first. It's never... Uh, and I know some of us are, have short tempers. I know some of us can do it just like that. But it's always a desire first. And then we do it. That, that temptation wells up inside of us. And before we're ever doing anything or saying anything to that person, we're thinking about it. And it's something that we want to do. But you know what? You can't do it. You can't do it. So it could be anger. It could be anything. But we've seen the consequences. And we don't just have to go through life blindly trusting God that He knows what He's doing and that He knows what's best for us. He does know what's best for us and He does know what He's doing. But He has also said, Hey, dummy, listen. I've given you an example to look at and to say, No, I'm not interested. We can see sin and its consequences in the lives of others. We can see what it's done to them and for them. And we can believe and trust and know that it'll do the same thing to us and for us. I don't, I, I, I don't obviously, I don't want to be an alcoholic because I've seen the consequences, okay? For various other reasons, but there's a lot of things I don't want to do and I don't want to be because, because I've seen the consequences. I had a teacher in college I went to just a, a small community college close to home. I hated school. I couldn't imagine going to another, after 12 years, I couldn't imagine going to any more school. But I thought, you know, I need to learn a trade. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I think everybody ought to learn a trade. Every young man at least ought to learn a trade. So I went to a local community college that's close to home. I could drive there every day and back, live at home, learn a trade, end up going for three years. But anyways, I had a teacher. It was one of those classes that you have to take, economics or something. You know, one of those just terrible, absolutely terrible classes. Um, but we had a teacher, and she would regularly walk in, bloodshot eyes. Now, I'm not, a, I, I'm, I'm not a drunk. I've never drank or been drunk. But I know what people that are hungover looks like. And she would regularly come in, bloodshot, hungover, look like she'd been, just been run over by a semi. And she would come in and teach a class. And half the time she canceled class, she wouldn't even come. But for whatever reason, she, I don't know how many times during that semester, she made it a point to get on the subject of her husband and how her husband had been abused as a boy by his alcoholic father. What a terrible thing that a man would be an alcoholic and he would abuse his children and his family. What a terrible thing. Maybe somebody here has experienced that. What a terrible, terrible thing. But she would... Basically, she, you know, she's wanting sympathy. Oh, that's, man, I'm so sorry for your husband. That's terrible. And I have no problem giving sympathy for something like that. Do you know what her husband did for a living? Her grown husband, who was abused as a child by his alcoholic father. You know what her husband did for a living? He owned and operated a liquor store. And rumor had it that just like his wife was a drunk... He was a drunk. Now, I'm not blaming that man's issues on alcohol. He had a heart issue at the root. He was a, probably an evil man and a wicked man. But that alcohol added to that problem and caused him to become somebody different and do that to his child. Listen, I can't feel sorry for you when you've seen the consequences firsthand and you continue to do them. Why? I don't understand. We know what can happen. And so when our heart wants something that's potentially dangerous or destructive, 
Why do we even entertain the thought? When we desire something that we know we shouldn't desire, why do we allow it to camp out in our hearts? Why do we allow it to take root? When we have a thought in our mind, and be honest, we all know whether we should have that thought or not. Why do we keep thinking about it? When we have a desire that we know we shouldn't have, why do we keep desiring it? Again, it's not easy. I get it. I understand. And, and those things are natural and they're, they're quite frequent. We'll, 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 let's just be honest with ourselves. But why, when we know the consequences, do we continue to allow those desires and those thoughts to take root within us? Again, I've mentioned many examples. Worry, anger, bitterness. Bitterness and unforgiveness, folks, that'll eat your lunch. There's, there's, no, there's no joy in your life. There's no peace. It will eat, there's a lot of things in life that will eat your lunch. All sin will eat your lunch. And so whether it's something physical, you see something and you think, well, that looks good, I'd like to do that. Or whether it's something internal that nobody can see, but if you don't take care of it, it's going to become external and physical. Whatever it is, someone else has already failed and has paid the consequences. You don't have to learn the lesson the hard way. Number three today. Number one, all our failures um, are results of giving into our lust. As I've said, all our failures are uh, have been someone else's failures. And number three today, all our failures can be avoided. All our failures can be avoided. Verse 12 and verse 13, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. All our failures or potential failures can be avoided. Let me not fail to mention to you today what God did for you at your salvation. The Bible says you're a new creation. You've been regenerated or born again inside. You've been given a new nature. It's a godly nature. And that's the nature that's at war with your old nature. You've been given a new spirit, a lowercase spirit, or your spirit's been regenerated. The Bible says we've been quickened. We've been made alive, okay? So however you want to look at it, your spirit's been revived or you've been given a new one, you have a new one. And that new spirit that you have within you can communicate with the Holy Spirit of God that He puts inside of you. That's how that takes place. The Holy Spirit communicates with your new spirit that's been quickened or made alive. You've been severed from your flesh. Oh no, I still struggle with my flesh. You still struggle with it. But it's not your slave master any longer. It's not your master any longer. It's not who you have to be obedient to any longer. Yeah, it's hanging around, and you could kick at it all you want like a dog and say, get out of here. It's still going to be lingering around all of your life. But you've been severed from it at salvation. You've got the Word of God, which I tell my church, and I'll tell you, I'm sure your pastor has told you numerous times, the King James Bible, folks, is all that we need. Every answer... To every problem is in this book. You just got to look for it. You just got to apply it. You just got to trust God. But all that we need is in this book. You've got a local church. I love the local church. That's one thing I love about your pastor. He's, he's a local church pastor. And I love the local New Testament church. You've got a pastor that preaches to you God's word unashamedly stands upon it we'll get up in the pulpit and kindly but boldly we'll say here's what God's word says and that's how God intended it that's what he wants and you should be thankful you've got grace that you don't deserve you've got renewed, restored, right proper fellowship with the God of heaven and there's a song and I'm not going to sing but it says, he loves me like I was his only child. That's how he makes us feel. Because of that fellowship that we have. We've got access to all of God's promises. 
and all of his spiritual resources. Now, I don't believe in a sinless perfection. And I'm not going to preach that today because I don't believe in it. But I will say this. We have everything that we need to be victorious over sin. God has given us all that we need and then some in order for you and I to not give in to those desires of our heart. We don't have to pay the... It's not as if God saved us and patted us on the behind and said, I'll see you in a few years, good luck. No, He gave us all that we need for life. And praise the Lord that He did. Verse number 12 is a warning to the proud one. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I believe this is referring to a couple different types of people. Number one, I believe it's referring to those that are so proud and self-righteous that they think they can dabble just a little bit in self-gratification. Oh, I can just give in just a bit. Well, I can just loosen up over here just a bit. Uh-huh. If that's you, you're going to fall. You're going to pay the consequences. Either sin will destroy or God will chastise one of the two. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I believe it's referring to another type of person. This is the proud person. One that thinks he'll never fail. Listen, folks, don't ever say, well, I would never do that. Don't ever say that. Now, I can say with a, there's things in my life I can say, well, I'll never do that. And I'm pretty sure I won't. But I'm going to be very careful saying that because I'm a, I'm a sinner and I know the thoughts and intents of my heart. The first child ever conceived and born into this world was a murderer. And I'm from him. I'm related to him. So we have to be very, very careful saying, well, I'll never do something like that. How many men have said, well, I would never do something like that? And they did it. So we have to be careful. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Verse 13 is an encouragement to all believers. It's an encouragement in two ways. It says, there, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Verse 13, here's an encouragement in two ways. Number one, it tells us that someone else has faced what we're facing. I'll just be honest with you. One of the things I struggle with as a pastor is the person that acts like they're the only person that's ever dealt with that problem. And woe is me that I'm struggling with this. You know what? There's been a lot of people that have struggled with that. It's not unique to you. Now I'm not saying I'm not disregarding your struggle. I'm not making light of it. I'm just simply saying Someone else has faced what you're facing. Someone else is able to tell you, here's what I did and how I handled it. And as we said in the previous point, some people are able to say, here's how I handled it properly and here's what didn't happen. Someone else has faced what we're facing. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Everything conceivably possible that we could do wrong, all of mankind has struggled with throughout all of history. Everything is common to man. Some have failed, some have overcame. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, tells us about our own Lord and Savior. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Our own Savior was tempted with all the temptations that you and I face. So I will say it to you today. Take heart, be encouraged that someone else has already faced what you're facing. Someone else is currently going through the same thing that you're going through. Whatever those struggles might be, whatever those desires and intents of the heart, whatever those lusts that you just wish would go away, there's someone else fighting the same battle. It's not unique to just you. Number two we see here, uh, uh, the second way we find encouragement from this verse is that God will help us out. God no doubt allows us to struggle. I believe if God wanted to just give us a brain that those thoughts wouldn't pop into, I believe He could. But for whatever reason He chooses not to, 
He allows us to have those desires. But He wants us to learn from them and not give in to them. So our struggles that God allows, obviously, are not intended to stay struggles. You might be a warrior, but it is not God's will for your life to be defeated and discouraged and depressed all the time. There's peace and there's joy and there's comfort and there's so many things that's available to that person. So whatever the struggle might be, God does not allow it because He wants you to continue to struggle. They're for our growth. They're for our good. He wants us to learn and He wants us to overcome them. Why? Because there's going to be another one. Oh, well, I've already beat that. I'll beat this. We're going to raise children. They're going to have the same struggles. And we're going to need to teach them how not to give in to their lusts and their desires. We don't want them to be defeated like we were. We want them to be victorious as Christians. And so for, for numerous reasons, God wants us to learn from our struggles and to overcome them and be victorious in the Christian life. No temptation has taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now you might say, you might say, preacher, well I understand if, if I'm tempted with something physically, that God could just remove that from my life and therefore the temptation's gone. And that happens sometimes. I believe uh, maybe someone's struggling with alcoholism or anything like that that's physical. I believe God will remove things from that person's life. If they, if they want to overcome that, I believe God can do things that will help that person overcome that temptation. But what about those things like anger? When you begin to feel it well enough and that person's standing right in front of you and they're just being rude and you just want to give them a piece of your mind or you want to do whatever it is that you want to do to them and boy, that anger's welling up, what are you going to do then? Could God remove that person? Yeah, but you're still going to be mad. You're still going to be angry. You're still going to be thinking about what they did. So what do you do then? Well, God still has provided a way. God still offers escape from even something like that. That, that desire that wells up in your heart and you think, man, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be desiring this. That thought that pops into your mind and you think, man, I shouldn't be thinking this. That feeling that you have and you think, man, I shouldn't be feeling this way. You know what God does? He provides a way of escape. And you know what it is? It's Him. He's the way of escape. We have to learn to stop and to think. We have to learn when that desire wells up, when that lust, we have to learn to stop. And we have to give that to God. James chapter 4 verse 7. Two more verses and we'll be done. James chapter 4 verse number 7. I tell my church all the time, they, they know it, I sound like a broken record. Probably my favorite verse in the Bible because it's one that we must learn to apply. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So listen to me folks. I don't care what it is, what thought, what feeling, what desire you have. You have to learn to, to practice self-control. And you have to learn to stop and say, Lord, I'm about to get mad. And Father, I don't want to get mad. Lord, I want to please you. I want to show this person kindness and compassion and love. I don't want to return evil for evil because after all you said, that's what you will do and that's not my place. And so Lord, I've got this feeling within me that, I, man, I just want to get mad or lose my temper or whatever the case. Lord, I'm submitting myself to you right now. And listen, we don't stop in the line of the grocery store and say, Lord, I submit myself to you right now. I guess you could if you wanted to. People are probably going to think you're a wacko. But you can stop right there and in your heart and in your mind. You can talk to God and you can say, Lord, I submit myself to you right now. And Father, I need you to take this desire from me. So Lord, I want to give it to you. And I want to thank you and I want to praise you. And Father, I want to please you with all my actions and all my thoughts and all my words and all my deeds. 
Whatever it is, folks, he provides a way out. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let's turn there. We read verse 15. Let's read verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, if you've got a desire or a thought or a feeling or a lust in your heart, that's a time of need. And that's a time when you can rest assured that God is on His throne and He's just waiting to help you escape. He's just waiting to provide a way out. And so therefore, go boldly. You know what God doesn't mind you doing? He don't mind you telling Him what He promised to do. Lord, you said you'd give me peace. So, Father, I need some peace. Lord, you said you'd provide a way of escape. So, God, I'm trusting you now to provide a way of escape. Lord, you said you've com you'd comfort me. So, God, I need some comfort right now. God does not mind at all. You're not going to bother God by reminding him of his promises. Because he's a faithful God. And what he said he'll do, he wants to do. If you'll let him. Lessons don't have to be learned the hard way, 